Time for episode number 11 and the first of 2019. You're looking good. My first view of you in 2019. Yeah, feeling good, Mitch. Feeling good. You know, the New Year's treating you right. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) NFL playoffs take center stage Hawks in Dallas on Saturday night. The tale of the tape and what a tale it is. Hint, for those of you looking for help making a pick from the tale of the tape, you might want to look elsewhere. Mm. That's all I'm going to say about that. A Rose Bowl disappointment. You were disappointed. You're wearing your Washington gear right now. A quick gander at the 2019 Washington Huskies. Are they going back to the Final Four? Are they going back to the college football playoff? Jake Eason, uh, eight NFL head coaching vacancies. Jay Ham's up for three of them. I am. Yep. He'll be doing the circuit. You're going to go out on interviews. You're going to miss a couple of the podcasts because mm-hmm. you're going to be out on interviews. Uh, would Antonio Brown look good in a Seahawks uniform in 2019? Conference play in college hoops. I've got a couple of Jasons, a King, and a Wise Guy. I got Hamilton, Locke and Fora, Peter King, a Vegas insider. We're going to get all kinds of opinions on the Seahawks, Cowboys, and the rest of the NFL playoffs. And three charter sponsors, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue, Zeke's Pizza, Daniel's Broiler, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue, whether it's a new or pre-owned vehicle, take a stroll in to see Al and Dimitri and their highly capable staff. You might just be surprised at the opportunities that await you, not to mention the best service department in Seattle or Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. This Seahawks turnaround is remarkable. Remember, they can't win a preseason game. And then two games into the regular year, we're looking forward to the NFL draft in 2019. And now three months later, we're asking wild card number one or wild card number two. And who would you rather play in the first round of the playoffs? Amazing. Unfiltered. I don't know. It just seems to me that if Jerry DePoto and the Mariners are going to make all these trades look beyond 2019, well, then they can't expect everyone to pay the same ticket prices as they did for an 89-win team in 2018. Mitch is unfiltered. Well, we made it to 2019. Got to give it up for 2019. You got to give us some props. Oh, yeah. We made it to January of 2019. (laughs) I'm just hopeful that we can make it to February of 2019. It's a goal. But it seems like people are okay. People are enjoying it. We're getting a little bit better. Yeah. We're shaking a little bit of the rust off. We're available on all the platforms. You listen to it on iTunes. iTunes, I do. I don't listen to it at all. Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. See, by the time I'm finished editing it, I've heard it as much as I want to hear. <laughs> hey, it just rolls off your tongue, though. All the platforms, you've, you, now you're down. You've got it down. It's good stuff. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Mm-hmm. I was in my brother's car over the, uh, over the holiday break, and he showed me he's got these, this fancy sound system in the car, and it's oh. got, like, web support. He says, all you got to do is punch in. It's not on his phone. He says, all you got to do is punch in Mitch Unfiltered. Bam, every episode's available on my car. He was listening to it going down the road. It's good stuff. And I was like, turn that off. Please, I've heard it. I did that. I lived that. I'm I, done. I got I got a few days break, please. But we want you to subscribe. Yep. We want it to come to you automatically. We want you to do that. And if you'd like to support our effort and have access to tons of bonus shows and content, you can become a patron at MitchUnfiltered.com. And as I said in our last podcast, episode number 10, mm-hmm. if you haven't heard... 
Right. If you haven't checked out any of the recent ones or even the ones back, if you haven't gotten to listen to it, you would be doing us a favor mm. if you just took a few minutes of your time, of your hard-earned time, yeah. and just listened to a couple of minutes here or a couple of minutes there of all the podcasts. I got a bunch of texts and tweets over the break of people saying, I went back and I listened to it. You a did? Few. Oh, yeah. It okay, was good. so it should be helpful. Yeah, it's It'll good. help sustain us. It will, yeah. it will build our brand. That's so. Right. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. Most of them have table of contents now, and I'm learning how to do that. We just want you to go back, and if you if you didn't check out number five or six or four, give a listen just for a few right. minutes. It will help us. It will help us. How was your New Year's? Tell me what 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 happens to the hand. Oh, you make it to midnight. I mean, you do. You're you're probably out and about on the town rage. and everything. Really? Oh goodness gracious! So, really? I mean, I don't know how much time we have to get into this. All the time you want. Oh my gosh! All yes. right. I did nothing. You did nothing. Nothing. I don't believe that. At home, at home, had this. Did big, you watch Ryan Seacrest had, or what? No, had this big plan to to get my kids and talk about 2018 and talk about what we are hoping for in 2019 and yeah. do this family thing. And my wife and I had this big discussion about what we were going to do and how we we're going to integrate the kids and what we're going to eat and this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Teenagers, they want no part. Nothing. Of course they want no problem. Nothing. Now, I did see a tweet at Jason D. Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I'm a big follower. Oh, of I don't follow many. Yeah, I know. I follow you, Jason. Yeah. I saw something about want to be a, a 2018 was good. Try to be a better version of myself. Yeah. Mixed results. Yeah. Is part of the problem that you decided to do this podcast or <laughs> what exactly mixed were you? Mixed, what, yeah. what was the mixed result? I mean, how, how you are you want to help us evaluate Jason D. Hamilton? No, I, d I don't want to. You, you don't want to. No, do I that. don't want to get into all that. But you kind of gave this kind of vague, very interesting. I was trying to put it all together, putting the pieces well, together. Understand what I just said about how we were talking. My wife and I were talking about reflecting on 18 and talking about vision for 19 and things that we want. Yeah. That's basically what I was doing in that tweet saying, you know, there's a, a bunch of things that I think I would put on the list to say, hey, I want to make sure I, uh, I'm, I'm doing these things, or at least I'm striving for these right. things. Some, I, some, I, I've passed with flying colors, other, I got a long way to go and was just trying to give a little evaluation on that. So basically wrap it all up. My wife yeah. and I had a great dinner. Did a little, did you make it to midnight? Did you see the ball drop? Uh, in the, I mean, how do they do that out here? Cause I was, I'm always back East for the. For the New Year's. Do they drop the ball at like nine? So ironically enough, made... Yeah, if you're watching, would depend on which feed you're watching. If well, you feed. You, How many feeds do you... You got nine choice? million channels. Of course, you can oh, find I an see. East Coast version. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. But uh, I did make it, even though I tweeted out that I would be in bed by 10. Yeah. Did make it to midnight. Well, past midnight, actually. But didn't have the television on from probably, gosh, early. For once... once yeah, maybe six o'clock. You're getting old. This is a this is a this is a severe indication. Didn't watch television you're at getting all. Really, really old. Okay. You're catching me. You're gaining ground on me. <laughs> but you had a very busy New Year's Day. See, I was in I was in Florida with my family, yeah. catching up with those guys, and I was enjoying myself. I was I was answering email. I've got a million email from people who've been so kind that have oh, emailed me through Mitch Unfiltered over the last two months that I haven't gotten to. So I'm answering emails on planes and and i'm having a good old time and i and i think the world of new year's and then all of a sudden it stops because ray Liotta comes back on my television <laughs> screen 
And you know, I've decided I'm not done with Ray Liotta just yet. How are you? How can you splice and dice Ray Liotta any more than what you've already done? I don't think we've touched upon something very disturbing about Ray Liotta, even though we do his eyes and his caked up makeup yeah. and his and his we think face doesn't move. The, the, the whole thing, the yeah. real freakiness. Um, how about the the toss of the tennis ball in the backyard? Have we evaluated that just yet? The left handed. It looks like he's throwing it really hard, and then you see a like a. A full picture of the backyard. Yeah. It's not very no. big, and you're like, he's a movie star. He should have a bigger backyard no. than that. That whole that whole kind of sequence of him throwing the ball to the dog. Yeah, it's that part of it doesn't even make a whole lot of sense to me. He's just happy. That's all they're just showing. He's just enjoying life. Yeah, he's enjoying life, not smoking anymore. The form horrible. The and, whole thing's horrible. And shouldn't. What is that? Is that backyard? Is that like a commercial backyard or is that a real backyard? That's a set. I mean, <laughs> he threw it what you thought would it would go a long way and then it really only goes about 10 or yeah. 15 yards. The I dog was mad. Like, give me a throw. I mean, give but, me a real but throw. But there's no room. There was no room in that backyard. I don't know. I'm just oh, saying. So boy. you had a busy um, January 1st because you did a, you, you yeah. obviously had the Rose Bowl that you were interested in yep. as a fan, spectator. Of course. But you also had a college basketball game, right? Had a college basketball game. That uh, went as Husky basketball games go. Tough, Playing down to the level of yeah, your opponent. Tough first half where yeah. they struggled. Against came, a team that had not won on the road all year. Is Fullerton, that right? yeah. Cal yeah. State Fullerton. Yeah. And, you know, who had a decent schedule. They, they've got some guys. They went to the tournament last year. But, uh, yeah, came back in the second half, took over, and won the game at the end. And you got a chance to watch your beloved dogs in the Rose Bowl. Did. Now, you picked them to win. I did. You, If they played it again, would you pick them to win again? You might. I might, yeah. I might because if they played like how they played in the fourth quarter, yeah. I would if they played like that for four quarters, if, I would pick them. If ifs if, and buts yeah. were cherries yeah. and nuts, yeah. every day would be Hanukkah. That's right. That's not the same. That's right. But, um so what ha- so what happened in the first half? What happened in the first three quarters? Why do they find themselves in such a big hole in your estimation? Before I throw the kitchen sink at you mm. on my in my thoughts, what happened to the Huskies? They were vanilla offensively, as vanilla as you can get. They didn't get first downs. They didn't move the ball. They, you know, they didn't give Miles Gaskin opportunities to to carry it and run. I I mean, you know, just the whole what you'd expect them to do in a bowl game. Ex- yeah. At least what I would expect Chris Peterson to do when you have a month to prepare, as we've seen him do over his career. Yeah. Be really innovative and throw some new wrinkles. I thought they were really vanilla. Then they got to a rhythm. I'm jumping ahead. They got into a rhythm in the fourth quarter and started to make some plays and open it up a little bit. See, you say that they were vanilla, which kind of implies that they ran the ball a lot. Yeah, screens. You know, so they didn't run the ball a lot. So should they, they didn't take a shot down they the field. To be more, maybe it was a French vanilla. Maybe they needed to be <laughs> oh, kind of more vanilla. Because when you my, – my biggest gripe was the way, obviously – look, if, if, you, if you look at the Rose Bowl – the only conclusion that a Washington Husky fan can come to mm. is that game was lost offensively in the first half, right? We can start there. Sure. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. From the execution to the play calling to the strategy that left you scratching your head, that game offensively was lost in the first half. And we talked about it on a previous podcast. The best guy that they had to help them beat Ohio State was Miles Gaskin. Mm-hmm. From a couple of standpoints, a running game does what? 
it keeps the opposing of offense yeah. off of the field. You mm-hmm. wanted to keep that Ohio State yeah. offense. You wanted to shorten the game. You wanted to limit the possessions that Ohio State was going to have. And Miles Gaskin and that running game was the key to doing that. Correct. And then they come out and they hand them the ball in seven. I think they had seven first half possessions. They hand them the ball seven times. Mm-hmm. Seven times. Mm-hmm. He ends up with 17 carries in the second half when they're behind. Right. But when they start the game fresh, they hand them the ball seven times. And what ends up happening? They do everything else. They throw incomplete passes. And Ohio State ends up with seven first-half possessions. You want Ohio State with five, four or five first-half right. possessions. You don't, want, you don't want to. If they're going to have seven possessions, they're going to score three touchdowns. They're going right. to score 21 points. To blame the defense... Oh, the offense did not do its job to play keep away. Correct. And in particular, my problem was with the offensive play calling. They did not feature Miles Gaskin. I think the equalizer, they didn't feature him enough in the mm. first half. I'll give you some numbers to back up what I'm saying. Okay. The Ohio State defense, I'm going to work my way backwards from the Huskies game. They played Northwestern in the Big, the big Ten championship game. Mm-hmm. They gave up 6.3 yards a carry. They played Michigan the week before. They gave up 161 yards rushing. They played Maryland before that. They gave up 331 yards rushing. Right. 7.1 yards a carry. They played Nebraska before that, 184 yards rushing. They played Purdue and lost to Purdue, gave up over six yards a carry to running backs, gave up over six yards a carry to running backs from Minnesota, gave up seven yards a carry to running backs from Indiana, gave up seven yards a carry to running backs from TCU. Mm -hmm. You have to go into that game and say, we're going to hand the ball to our, the leading rusher in the history of this program. And we're going to give it to him and give it to him and give it to him. We are going to move the chains and we are going to limit that quarterback and that offense to five first half possessions, maybe six. Mm -hmm. We're not giving them seven possessions Mm -hmm. and they didn't do any of that. Now you couple that with a couple of really curious decisions. And I you know, Chris Peterson, I think is one of the best five or seven coaches in America. Right. I think the Washington Huskies are so fortunate to have him. Totally. Agree. I like everything about the guy. But it seems like for an, one of the great coaches in America, we come back to this end of half, end of game clock management way too much than we should. There was the the thing a couple of years ago where he didn't he punted the ball and he didn't right. have to and you know running the clock down and here was the first half end of the first end half. of the first end half. of the first half. let's start there okay Whew. you have the ball at your own eight yard line with a minute and sixteen or something to go and you run twenty one seconds off the clock from your eight and give the ball back right. to that offense with fifty three. 53 seconds to go and you don't even make Make them take a timeout. They don't even have to take a timeout. I mean, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, that is just to me, fundamental college football one. And what does they, what do they do? Right back and score right down. Make it 21 to three instead of 14 to three, 21 to three at half. Huge. And then late in the game, you're down 11 with like four minutes to go. You got to go for it. He decides he's going to run a fake punt. He's pretty much admitted that in the press conference mm-hmm. afterward. We had a little something on, but then they gave us a different look, so we ended up punting it instead. Well, okay. you Because you can't burn the timeout. Why can't you? 
I mean, if you're going to you? if you're going to punt in that situation, it's it's I mean, you I guess you could. Well, to me, first of all, you're down 11 yeah. with 4 minutes to go in the game. You've got to go one way or the other. You got to go for it. The mm-hmm. game is over. You can't give them the ball back. So, either you're going for it with Jake Browning in your offense or you're going to punt the ball away or you're going to run a fake punt. He wanted to run a fake punt. Yeah. But if they give you a look that doesn't allow you to run the fake punt, then you better call a timeout and put your offense back on the field and let's run a play. You're, the game is over. You've got you. You're giving the ball. I don't back know to the, that I. I, I mean, I understand. How what are you you're winning? Saying. If you give I, them I the ball, how saying. are you winning the game? Well, you're hoping you're relying on your defense to get the ball back. You got. You're down eleven, though. I understand that, but they were able to do that. Yeah, it did happen. Yeah, but you need it twice. Yes, you not need it just twice. once. So I don't know. It just seemed like. I don't want to pin this completely on the coaching staff because at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, execution. And somebody could say, hey, Mitch, had they executed the plays that they called a little bit better and Jake Browning was better in the first half and they weren't throwing a lot of incomplete passes, then it wouldn't have mattered that Miles Gaskin didn't carry the ball but seven times in the first Mm -hmm. half. So I get all that. But it just, to me, I don't know. It just was another big game for the Huskies that they just didn't look like you know they were ready to go with a good game plan. And I don't. I don't know. I was. I was left. I mean, I watched it on delay. I knew the results when right, I watched right. it. It just seemed to me it left a lot to be desired. That first half, especially that first half. You can't win big games, whether it's basketball or football, by playing half of the game. Right. Not against good teams. Right. You certainly can't. And right. you go back to that end of the first half. You know, only running minimal amounts of time off the clock. Jake Browning had that throw on third down, even though, like you said, only, what is it, 21 seconds or whatever, had that third down throw and missed a wide open receiver that would have given them a first down. Inconsequential still to the whole point of what you were saying about how do you, you know, just... Well, I think the the real killer of that of that end of first half possession, if you recall, when they had the ball, I think it was the eight yard line or whatever it yeah, was to start. He he completed a, like a five or six or seven yard pass on first down. Had he not completed that, they probably would have then just tried to run, run out, out, at least make the Ohio That's State right. team use some time. But when he completed that ball, and they were like, hmm, maybe we can get a first yeah. down, maybe we can get two or three first down before you know it, it's twenty one to three yeah. at, at the break. Anyway. Uh, so the season ends and the career ends of Gasket and Browning and everybody who's fed up with Jake Browning and has seen enough uh, will be uh, will be happy to know you're not going to see him again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a little bit overplayed. How do you feel about the outlook? How do you feel about the Huskies? How do you feel about them moving forward? You know, do you feel like, okay, Peterson's got them where they are. Are yeah. they a national championship caliber team each year, or are they something somewhere below that, do you think? Well, I mean, you look back at what this class has done for Husky football. Where Now, they haven't won the big games other than Apple Cups, right? The bowl games, the big bowl games. Got, got to the college football playoff. He's one in four, I think, in bowl games. Chris Peterson is. I mm-hmm. think something like that, one in five, something like that. But they're – they're knocking on the door. They are a relevant national power. Again, you, when you start talking about the landscape of college football, Washington is amongst those teams. Now, are they on Alabama-Clemson level? No, but there's Alabama and Clemson on that level. And that's then right. Then you, there's everybody yeah, else. Yeah, there's everybody else. Certainly they're on Notre Dame's level. For sure. Right? For sure. Um, certainly they're on Oklahoma's level. 
right? I would think so. They've got the athletes. He has recruiting classes. It's interesting. He never seems to have a top five or eight recruiting class. He always seems to have a 13, 12 to 18, somewhere in there. And maybe that's the OKG thing. Maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't want certain guys, and I don't know. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think uh, to believe that they're not a Final Four caliber team just would be erroneous because, A, he's been there. Correct. And B, look at how close. I know they lost three or four games, but look at how real close, what the difference really was this year between sure. the team that went to the Rose Bowl and a team that could have been in the Final Four. I mean, they lose late game. Yeah. Late, Oregon, late, Cal. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they could have won yeah. a lot of those. Sure. Maybe not the Auburn game. but So I, I agree with you. You know, What is it going to take to be Clemson or Alabama? I don't know. I don't know. Those two teams have the best recruiting classes. They mm-hmm. get the best players. They're in the national championship game seemingly every year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know that, you know, the in, uh, under the current setup that Washington can be Clemson or Alabama, but we'll have to wait and see. In 2019, for an example, they're going to have they're going to have big turnover as I understand it, in their defense. They got defensive linemen leaving, they got linebackers leaving, they got safety, safety a safety Taylor who announced Rapp, yeah. that he's not coming back. They got corners, one corner who's going because he's a senior, one corner is probably going to declare eligibility of the NFL draft. So they've got some transition mm-hmm. on defense. They're going to have to restock the defense. I don't know about the recruits. I'm sure they have good players. Offensively, let's put it this way. If Jake Eason's any good, Jacob Eason, yeah. if he's any good, then they're going to be fine offensively sure. because they got most of their, almost all their offensive line coming back. They got the receivers that people don't love, but Ahmed and Pleasant and McGrew, McGrew and all yeah. those guys will – We'll take over. We're yep. I think offensively, they're going to be good. And then when you look at their schedule, they're, Favorable. Play, they're playing no one out of conference Favorable. again, which I hate. They're playing no one. The only thing that they're playing out of conference is BYU on the road. It's not bad, but it's not an Alabama or Auburn. Sure. Um, they're going to play at BYU, at Stanford, at Arizona, mm-hmm. at Oregon State, and at Colorado. Right. Nothing. Say that again. At BYU, at Stanford, at Arizona, at uh, Oregon State, and at Colorado. Nothing big. Mm -hmm. You could see them very easily. And a Stanford game will be tough, as it always is. But that's certainly doable. And then everybody else is at home. Right. So there's no reason to believe, depending upon what that defense does, no reason to believe that uh, Washington can't be a team that's vying for the for the Pac-12 title again next year. And maybe if things fall right, maybe they lose only one. Mm-hmm. You probably have room for error, one room for error, that you could end up in the Final Four college football. Well, it's a little bit of a role reversal from what we saw or what we thought this team was going to be coming into this season, where it's the defense is stacked. You know the yeah. defense is stacked. Yeah. And the offense has a lot of continuity as well with guys who have been there, done that. I think – Looking into 19, you have a a defense that's going to have a lot of new parts and an offense that also is going to have some new new parts, but you're feeling a little bit better about where the offense is, especially if Jacob Eason is as advertised because he can make throws that, you know, a lot of people can't make with with what his arm strength is like. So if if he can be dynamic and they can – you know, change the offense like Coach Pete had talked about after the game, the bowl game in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, who knows what they look like? Well, I think I think the one the one thing that you could lull yourself into a false sense of security, and I don't mean to suggest he won't be good, mm-hmm. but Jacob Eason is at Washington for a reason. Sure, and the reason is he lost his job at Georgia. He did not play right. 
as advertised. He was one of, if not the number one high school quarterback in the nation out of Lake Stevens, wherever it was. And he went to Georgia, was given a, a great opportunity to be the three-year starter and go to the NFL early. He did not he did not perform right. as well as they had hoped, and then he was replaced by Jacob Fromm. Right. So he transferred. So it's an easy thing to say, oh, we got Jacob Eason. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. He's got to obviously improve. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I watched every down at Georgia right, and know what his, what his problems were, but he's got to be better – Sure. Uh, than he was at Georgia. And you, you would think after a year sitting out and under the system and, and you know, Peterson gets a hold of him and yep. he does great with quarterbacks. Let's see what Washington is. Now we're going to have a lot of NFL. You wonder why didn't they start with the NFL? Why didn't they start with the Seahawks? Why did they start with the Rose Bowl? Because we've got nothing but NFL chatter from mm-hmm. here on in the remainder of this podcast. I mean, we've got Peter King. He's going to talk about the Seahawks and all the NFL. We've got We've got Jason Lock and Fora. We've got a Vegas insider, the mm. former odds maker at Caesars Palace, who's going to pick all the games. We're going to we're going to do the tail of the tape, which is going to be very interesting. So that's why I didn't start with something I'm very excited about. I love the NFL playoffs. I love the first weekend. Yeah. Even though most of those teams have no chance to win the Super Bowl, I still fool myself into believing <laughs> that the winners on the first weekend, maybe the Seahawks will be one of them. I mean, outside of maybe Masters Sunday and maybe... First two days of the NCAA tournament. First two days of the NCAA tournament. I love the NFL playoffs. So, Dallas, you said weeks ago, I'm holding you to this. I did. Weeks and weeks ago, you said, I want the... Dallas Cowboys versus the Chicago Bears. There's an expression, be careful what you wish for, Jason D. Mm -hmm. You got them now. Yep. Now, I'm holding you to this. You're not worried about Saturday night. Bring it. You're ready for the Bring Cowboys. It. You don't think this is going to be a problem. Bring it. Bring it. Is this is this false bravado or is this legitimate? Hey, bring it. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you really? expect me to say? You well, expect me to say, you know. I, you can say what I'm going to say. Which is? I'm scared out of my mind. Are you? Yeah. I, I think it's a complete toss-up. I, I think it could come down to which of the injured Seahawks. This is how close I think it is. Yeah. Which of the injured – now, I have the benefit that you don't have. I've, I've, I know the tail of the tape. We're going to do it. Yes. And I know the Cowboys statistically, and I've watched, yeah. and maybe I've seen a little bit more of it than you. You've been watching Correct. a lot of college basketball. So I, 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 might, I might have a little advantage on you just because I'm, you know, I've, I've dug into the numbers, yeah. and I can't – I'm going back and forth. I, in fact, I've decided – Jason Lock and Four and I are going to do a, we're going to do a bet, oh. we're going to do a pick 'em bet, Levy against Lock and Four. Oh, yes, we're putting big stakes on big the stakes. Lo- There's going to be major stakes, and we're going to both predict every game of the NFL playoffs starting with this podcast. Every game, four this week, four next week. That's eight. Two the following week, ten. Super Bowl is eleven. Love it. Best man wins. Love we it. We know who the best man is. Right. But best picker wins. Okay. And I don't know. I, I gotta go one. I got, I'm I'm on the fence on this. I need to know about these these three injuries: Sweezy, Griffin, McDougal. Yeah. These three injuries that are going to be game time decisions because I think all three of them huge. Any one of them could I think change have, the change, change the, the outcome yeah, of the game. Yeah. Think about the three guys. Yeah, well, starting with Sweezy. I don't want to give away the tail of the tape too much, but let's start with Sweezy for yeah. a second. Running game. Absolutely. Remember this when we do the tail of the tape. 
Okay. Sweezy in the running game. And how you could might be able to circle that one, that one competition, that one subplot that might come to the results of the game. Remember Sweezy versus the Dallas Cowboy run defense. Griffin, mm-hmm. what's the biggest difference about the Cowboys since they played them in game three of the season? There's one what, new wide receiver. New wide receiver. Yeah. Cooper's there. Yeah. He wasn't there before. Griffin is iffy with a a foot or an ankle. I think it's Sweezy's the foot and Griffin's the ankle. And then the last guy is McDougal. Sure. Safety. Run support against Zeke, Zeke Elliott, Elliott. Yeah. The leading rusher in the NFL. That safety who comes down, that former camp chancellor who comes down into the box and has to be sure a sure-handed tackler and has got a limit. Zeke's going to get his. The question is is he going for 100, 110 or is he going for 175? Okay, that's oh. the question, and I think the, bit, those are the choices: one ten versus well, one seventy five. I, I don't have it in front of me, but he went for in game three here. He Just went for him. like a buck thirty, a buck. For, yeah, he's you. You threw triple digits out there, like it's going, a foregone conclusion. Yeah, he's going for a hundred. Okay, he's going for a hundred. Okay, and especially with the catches out of the back. Remember, he also leads the league, I think, in all purpose yards, catches out of the backfield. McDougal is a huge part, a huge part of what the Seahawks. Need to do. I worry about the Seahawks defensively mm. in this game. Mm-hmm. I don't worry as much about them offensively, but we'll get to the tail of the tape. But I do worry that that Zeke could have a huge game. That the Dallas Cowboys could control the clock and use the home field and win the football game that way. So I want Griffin. I want McDougal. I want Sweezy. I want those three. You tell me right now, you look me in the eye and say they're going to all three play and be not affected by their injury. And Mm -hmm. it's one thing to play. It's another thing to play, you know, play to your your best. Then I'm ready to pick the Seahawks. You tell me that one or two or three of those guys are not going to play or they're not going to be able to play up to their full capabilities. Then I wonder. Then I wonder. So... Uh, we're also going to touch a lot about Antonio Brown on this right. on this episode because of all the shenanigans that's going on. He walked out on his team, and they're starting to talk about Pittsburgh trading him, and I figured that the Seahawks will be in the market for some wide receiving help during the offseason. They always are. Yeah, of course. I just – you like the idea of, of – uh, love to see Antonio, Antonio Brown, Brown in yeah. the Seahawks uniform. Of course. You worry about the, the, the headache. No. You worry about the knucklehead factor. Do no. you, hurry, you worry about any of that? No. You'd like to see it. Russell Wilson to Antonio Brown. Yes. Would you give up a lot of that's where choices? that's where we need to get that's where the rubber meets the road. You got to tell me what 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 is what is going to be given up for that? Don't know yet. Of course, but do I like the the idea the concept of Antonio Brown? And You're standing Norman? in line, no doubt. Yeah, I think I am too. I think I am too. Okay, hear ye, hear ye. Saturday night, Seahawks and Cowboys. We're talking all about it with Jham. Pizza, craft beer, and football. Let's go. Zeke's is the Northwest's homegrown pizza company founded in Queen Anne in 1993, and most Zeke's location now deliver beer, wine, and even cider. No one does Northwest craft beer quite like Zeke's, and that includes delivery. Download and use their mobile app. Order online, Zeke'sPizza.com, or call 206-285-8646. By the way, I, I think I'm doing the Super Bowl at the new Capitol Hill Oh, is that location so? Location of Zeke's. I think I'm watching the Super Bowl there and hopeful that hmm. some of the some of the patrons, some of the supporters, some of the listeners of Mitch Unfiltered who have helped me come back and have supported me will come by and just say hello and shake my hand. I'd like to be able to say thank you. Could I convince you, at least for a portion of it, 
to watch the Super Bowl with me at the Zeke's Pizza location in Capitol Hill? You or might, do I have to work you, on you? You on that? have to work on that, but I, you might be able to, with a with a small twist of an arm, be able to do that. Right, I happen to think that Zeke's is a perfect place to sit down, have pizza, beer, and watch football. 14 locations. Any combination of food and beer, just as long as it's a minimum of 15 bucks delivered. Mix and match. Order six different beers, whatever you want. 206-285-8646. Zeke'sPizza.com. Or download and use the mobile app. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Football morning in America. He's Peter King, and he's very busy this time of year, so let's get right to it. First of all, Happy New Year, Peter. Thanks for being back with us. Thank you, Mitch. Great to be with you. Good to hear your voice. All right, so let's uh, let's begin before we get to the big games and the big coaching stories. The Antonio Brown story, I, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, ben Roethlisberger said on a radio show that there was no incident in a walkthrough. He's gone missing. They're going to trade him. They're not going to trade him. I trust one man and one man only to to fill me in. Fill in the gaps for me on this, please. Well, um, here's what I think happened, Mitch. I think there are two hidden parts of this story. One is that Antonio Brown, uh, when he feels slighted, uh, can be irrational and immature, and that's, to put it mildly, um, there was some sort of incident at, pra- at a practice last Wednesday, a walkthrough practice that the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette alluded to, uh, but has been very sort of, uh, it, 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 there's been a lot of, I don't want to say controversy over it, but there's been a lot of people trying to read things into it. So I'm not going to read anything other than there was an incident at practice that ticked off Antonio Brown. Uh, and this was at a walkthrough practice. M- many days in Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin will give veterans days off. And he continued to say, even this week, Mike Tomlin did, that that uh, this is a practice that he's done for a while. Antonio Brown, being a veteran guy who's had some knee issues, um, and told Tomlin that, according to Tomlin, that he had, you know, that he was having a sore knee, so he didn't practice that day, and then he didn't show up on Thursday, uh, and then the Steelers couldn't reach him. Then there's one other thing that happened during the course of this. He evidently showed up on Wednesday, but that's the day that the Steelers released their MVP vote for the year. Mm-hmm. And those who follow this team closely say that there is a rivalry, at least from Antonio Brown's point of view, between he and Juju Smith-Schuster, the young, exciting, explosive wide receiver uh, who plays opposite of him. And Juju Smith-Schuster was voted the team MVP. And I'm told that had this been Ben Roethlisberger, Brown probably would have shrugged his shoulders and he would have understood. But the fact that this was his teammates telling, saying directly that Juju Smith-Schuster was more valuable to the team during the 2018 season than Antonio Brown, I believe that that has something to do with this incident uh, without question. 
So, so there, there you have that part of it. And then there's the simple fact, Mitch, that, that Antonio Brown was not reachable for a period of time. And he also did not do what Mike Tomlin told him to do, which is to get an MRI on his knee. Um, and, and then he just showed up on Sunday as if he was going to play and Tomlin told him he was deactivated. Now, so what happens going forward right. with this? I think that's, right. that's the most, that's the most interesting thing. And in my opinion, it makes a lot of sense for the Steelers to trade him. It's going to cost him a lot of money. I think next year he would make in cash and bonuses, 15 million and to trade him would cost would cost a twenty one million dollar hit on their cap and and again that is significant but it would also be ripping a band-aid off with with antonio brown being thirty years old it would be ripping a band-aid off of a guy who has been a of an excellent player but also a monumental amount of problems for mike tomlin and his steelers well i know a team and an organization that doesn't fade away from problems. Uh, what what kind of a contract, what kind of a cap hit for the acquiring team are we talking about? And what do you think, is it too early to ask you what the compensation would be for a team that wanted to you know, acquire Antonio Well, I think, I think next year, and, and I, I don't know this for sure, Mitch, but I think that next year that if a team acquired uh, uh, Antonio Brown – they would be responsible for his salary and bonuses next year, which would be about $15 million. Right. So that would be their, their cap hit next year. However, I think the biggest issue with this uh, very likely would be compensation. And the one team that I think everybody would think of right away is the uh, Oakland Raiders. Now, um, the Oakland Raiders have three ones this year. Uh, and they obviously have their one in 2020. Uh, just my just my gut feeling that uh, this is the kind of trade that John Gruden would love to make. Um, and and again, I think that Gruden just feels I can handle stars, uh, and I can handle big egos. He's always felt that way. They would make absolutely a tremendous amount of sense with four ones in the next two years. Um, and uh, you know who knows? Maybe the the market for Antonio Brown will not be uh, active because everybody will be afraid of having to deal with this guy who has been paid a lot of money, but still is a big problem for the team. Before I ask you, Peter King, Football Morning in America, uh, for your picks in the four games, uh, I won't ask you the coaching carousel, all the teams, but is there one? Is there one job that intrigues Peter King more than the other, or is there one name of a coaching candidate that you find more interesting than maybe some of the others? Since you asked an open-ended question, I'm going to give you an open-ended answer. All right. I think I think that uh, the New York Jets should go all out to try to hire Mike McCarthy. He's a no-nonsense, organization-first guy, and uh, he did a very good job early on in the Aaron Rodgers uh, development uh, and in holding firm uh, when in his third year he, uh, uh, he said that's it, for, uh, that's it for Brett Favre. 
and we are going with Aaron Rodgers. So he he definitely has the ability to hold the courage of his convictions. Um, the, the Jets have been swaying in the wind for way too long. And if I were the Jets, that's the guy I'd try to hire very aggressively. That's number one. And he will interview with the Jets. Uh, number two, I think that the most interesting job out there is the Cleveland Browns because I could see them going in about eight different directions. But the one thing that's happened in the last month or so is that the Browns have fallen in love with Freddie Kitchens, this offensive coordinator. I don't think they want to hand the team to him. But I think that what that has done, how well they have played on offense, it is it has opened up the uh, the coaching uh, uh, coaching market for the Browns to include any coach, an offensive guy, a defensive guy, Dave Tobe, a great special teams coach in Kansas City from the Andy Reid tree. So you you've you've got you've got any number of possibilities, and that's why I think Cleveland is the most intriguing place. And finally, I would look at the Green Bay Packers, and I would I would tell you this that I think any team or any coach who is interested in coaching the Packers you know, is going to have to have uh, basically a come-to-Jesus conversation with Aaron Rodgers. Do you want to be coached? Because I'm not coming in here to let you coach the offense. You know? And I think there's a lot of, not fear, but there's trepidation that Aaron Rodgers wants to be very, very powerful inside this team. And and can I tell you, Mitch, I do not think that that's true. I think Rodgers wants to be coached and coached hard. However, I think he wants somebody in there who he views as is very imaginative, is smart, and is going to put a great team around him and is going to coach that team. I think he felt like this was not a very imaginative offense under Mike McCarthy. All right, let's go through the four games and get a thought and a pick, if you wouldn't mind, Peter. Peter King, Football Morning in America. Let's begin with the Colts and Texans. They played, obviously, twice this season split. The Colts won the last time around. And for my money, the Texans don't seem to be playing the quality of football that Houston played earlier on in the season as they head into this postseason tilt. What do you think? I like Indianapolis. I think, first of all, I like the way Andrew Luck is playing. I like the way the front line is protecting. Because look at it this way. This is, this is you know, with, with, with Deshaun Watson uh, having been sacked, whatever, I think the number is 63 times, Andrew Luck having been sacked 18 times, what, what Houston does the best is rush the passer. And I believe that, uh, that Indianapolis, both in a quick release from Andrew Luck and an improved protection up front, I think Indianapolis is going to be able to protect Luck, and they're going to be able to make enough plays to win. The game that you'll attend, Peter, Peter King with us, Chargers and Ravens the second time in about three or four weeks. That first time around was very telling in, in I was going to say, San Diego, Los Angeles. Uh, Lamar Jackson maybe had his best passing day as a young Raven, and the Ravens' defense completely took care of Phillip Rivers, and now they'll play again, what, three or four weeks later in Baltimore for all the marbles. What do you think? Two, two meetings within 15 days, and Mitch, the most interesting thing is the, uh, the, the Baltimore Ravens are running the ball about 65% of the snaps. 
since Lamar Jackson has come in. Now, I asked him about this last week, and he got very prickly about it because he doesn't want to just be known as a running quarterback. But the fact is, they're revolutionizing how offensive football is being played, at least in 2018, by running the ball an incredibly high amount of the time. So, so I guess what I would say is I like Baltimore, but the one thing that we don't know San, the, the San Diego, I'll call them San Diego till the day I die. <laughs> Me too. The, the, Chargers, the Chargers basically had the best fortune against the Baltimore Ravens in holding their running game down, held them to 157 yards. While that's still a lot, it's not in the 290s where, you know, where they've been a couple of times under Lamar Jackson. So I, I like... Uh, the Chargers to uh, to go to school on these guys and to be the first team to to play them twice. Um, I, I like that, but there's something about this Baltimore team right now. I'm going to pick them and pick them narrowly in what what I think is going to be a very fun game because football can be great played in the teens, and I think this game will be you know something like 17-13 or something like that, a low scoring game. Where will Joe Flacco be starting? As a, I'm assuming he's going to be a starting quarterback in the league next year, Peter. Uh, probably. I would, I would say in some order, uh, and, and I can't give you the exact order because I have not talked to these teams to find out if they'd even have a scintilla of, of interest, but I would say Washington, Miami, uh, Jacksonville, and the New York Giants in some order okay. of, of team. All right. The biggest favorite on the board in Vegas is the Bears this weekend. Uh, playing great defense. We know that. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky seems to be back from injury. Nick Foles, probably his final game. You mentioned all the teams that need a quarterback this offseason. Could be his final game as an Eagle. A little banged up going in. The Eagles got in at the last minute. Do you give Philadelphia a puncher's chance in Chicago oh, this weekend? A lot more than a puncher's chance. Okay. Uh, and I'll just say this, Mitch, if, if, uh, if Philadelphia killed Minnesota in the, NF in the NFC championship game with Nick Foles, if they uh, outscored the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, if they went to Los Angeles and outplayed the Rams three weeks ago, I'll tell you, my, 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 as I wrote in Football Morning in America this week, my heart says Foles, my head says Khalil Mack. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think the Bears will win the game, but I, this, is not, this is not Buster Douglas Mike Tyson, I can tell you that much. This is, this is a one-score game inside the two-minute warning okay. of the fourth quarter. I'm going to hold you to that, Peter. And finally... I think most of our audience wants to hear what Peter King has to say about a rematch of game number three way, way, way back in September. The Hawks and Cowboys faced off here in Seattle, the home opener, in, in fact, for the, uh, for the Seahawks. These are two different teams. Cooper's there now. The Hawks are running the football. The Cowboys play great stingy defense and limit yards per carry in the rushing attack. I think that'll be a big key. There's also the turnover issue. What do you think? Uh, how, how much of a chance do you give the, the Seahawks in Dallas, and are you picking the Seahawks in Dallas? I am, I am picking the Seahawks in this game. However, however, I'm picking the Seahawks because I trust that they're going to be able to play 
the way they've been playing the last four to six weeks. And I think one of the most shocking statistics in the NFL this year is that the Seattle Seahawks rush for more than 2,500 yards. You can't name a bat, you know, the even, uh, okay, good football fans and fantasy football players, <laughs> they can all tell you who uh, Chris Carson is, okay? They can tell you that. But I'd say if you ask even good football fans on the street, you walk down in Detroit, Michigan, Minneapolis, a- anywhere, and you say, who's the running back for the Seattle Seahawks who had a great year? They wouldn't know Carson's name. And so my whole thing is the Seahawks have done this with a rebuild offensive line, with a new offensive line coach, but with Pete Carroll saying, listen, we are going to put an extra emphasis on being able to run it this year. And then, of course, you're going to have the ability of one of the best deep ball, deep ball throwers in the game, if not the best right now, Russell Wilson, who's played so great down the stretch of this season uh, that in, a, in another kind of year, you know where where they where the MVP picture was more muddled. He'd be in that picture. He isn't because of Mahomes and Breeze. But this has been a remarkable year for the Seattle offense. And I think if 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 they play mistake free at Dallas, they're going to win the game. They averaged two point nine yards a carry. By the way, the last time these two teams met, which was a million years ago, so maybe that doesn't matter. Carson did go over a hundred yards, but he had to carry the ball thirty-two or thirty-three times to do it. So, and the Cowboys' defense, for as good as they are, they they give up some yards, they give up some passer efficiency through the air. So it'll be interesting to see whether the Seahawks stay true to that ground game if they get hit in the teeth a few times early. They will, Mitch. I mean. If they have so far this season, I'll be shocked if they don't this year. Now, if they get to halftime with 19 carries for 22 yards, well, obviously they're going to go into halftime and they're going to do some different things, but I don't think that's going to happen. They've run against some very good fronts in the second half of this season. Terrific stuff as always. Thank you, Peter. Hopefully we'll catch up next week before the divisional round. Thanks so very much. All right, Mitch, you take care. So Peter is picking the Seahawks barely. All these years I've been talking your ear off about the Daniels Bellevue, Daniels South Lake Union, and Daniels Leshy locations, and now all of a sudden, tons of excitement surrounding the fourth location of this special locally owned steakhouse, the brand new Daniels Broiler at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Seattle. The place is fantastic. From the flooring to art collection, the pictures of old-time Seattle, just the overall feel of this place is perfect. The stakes, the service, the ambiance. This new downtown Seattle Daniels is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Just take my advice. If you're looking for a special night out in Seattle, maybe it's an anniversary or maybe it's a birthday, Try the new downtown Seattle, all-new Daniels location, locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the brand-new downtown Hyatt Regency, Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered.
Jason Lockenfora of CBS, CBS NFL Insider. Which game do you guys have? I, I lose track on this first weekend because everybody seems to have different games. Who do you have? We've got the 1 o'clock Sunday, well, for you guys, 10 a.m. Sunday, uh, Ravens and Chargers. Uh, I think you and I need to have a pickoff. You and I need to have a little wager. We What do we got? Four games this weekend, four games next weekend, then two and one. So we've got 11 games Mono and mono, I win. You take me to the Orioles and Crabs. You okay. you win. I take you to the Mariners and give you the best steak you can you can ever find. How about okay. that? We, I, hey, I know I know your Mariners seats are great, so I, I'm down. Okay, and Orioles seats you can get them. You'll be able to get. <laughs> we can sit in the dugout next year if same we want to. Probably same so, with the same yeah. with the Mariners. Same yeah. with it's an equal deal. Right. Now should We're we? On. Well, You've got a deal. we'll get to the picks in a second, but I, I just don't know how we should do it. Should we do it with the spread, or should we just do straight out picks? How should that work? What's your? I think we suggest? have to do it with the spread. Okay. Otherwise, there won't be much separation in okay. a small sample size. All right. Size, All right. right? Yes. Yes. We'll do it with the spread. All right, Jason Lockenfor, CBS NFL Insider, with us. We'll make our picks in a minute. Antonio Brown first, though. Is he just being a knucklehead and a big baby, or does he have reasons to pout? What's a, who's culpable in this thing, and what the hell is going on? Are they going to trade him? What's going to happen? It's going to be hard to trade him with a $21 million cap charge attached to that for a team that's perennially up against the cap because they have a lot of high-salary guys, and the way they do their their salary structures there, the way they handle their bonuses with the big sign, signing bonuses and stuff, you end up having a lot of uh, you know future proration hanging over your head when you when you go to cut a guy earlier than you expected, or in this case, trade him way earlier than you would have ever anticipated. I'm not sure it gets to that, Mitch. It's a long off season, and this is a Rooney family that's very traditional and staid. Um, and they don't usually capitulate the player demands in right. general. Right. Um, but this is who's who's to blame? I think you know a little bit of everybody. I think a little bit of the quarterback, certainly Antonio Brown, and also Mike Tomlin and the powers that be there for for kind of giving guys so much um, freedom and letting them be such individuals and and giving them such a wide swath that. Um, this behavior had been tolerated before. It hadn't been tolerated on the eve of the biggest game of the year with the playoffs at stake, but this is a dude who pick up, picked up and left camp yeah. when they sent some yeah. of his buddies home. Yeah. You know, They sent his, yeah. his, his personal trainer and his social media guy and kicked those guys out of camp and said they can't just come on the field during practice anymore. And then they made up an injury to, to cover up the fact that he went back to Pittsburgh right. for a couple of days and pouted. And then he had to blow up with Ben on the sidelines. And he didn't show up for meetings and work on Monday. And they let him come back Tuesday, and he played that following week. So, you know, I, I think that there's got to be a recalibration there. And part of what's made them so great and Tomlin so great is that, um, I don't know if laissez-faire is too strong a term, but, but it's a little loose there, you know. And, and put Tomlin's resume up against anybody's. It has worked. But I think now we've reached a point where some of these personalities have been so big yeah. and the team isn't meeting expectations. And all that stuff's cool when you still get to the playoffs every year and win. When you're 7-2-1 and one and you don't get to the playoffs, it's not, it's not as easily tolerated. I, I have to ask you, I have to ask you, will the, will the line be long? What kind of football player is he still? Is he still like one of the best two or three receivers in the game? I happen to know... There'll be one team locally in the market for a wide receiver during this offseason. There's no no question about that. Um, how long will the line be, and how good of a football player is Antonio Brown still? 
I'm not sure if we get to a point where the line actually forms because this could be something where they've sort of had their kumbayas between now and the combine. If if this is still a story at the combine and 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 Antonio Brown is truly stuck in and not going to budge, and he's got Drew Rosenhaus saying, um, "No, we don't ever plan to play for you again." And you know we saw what Le'Veon did last year, and we're prepared to do that, and yada yada yada. You know, then I think you have to start considering it and see where you know what. Rooney's stance is on it at that point. Right now, I think it's all very raw and very emotional, and the Steelers aren't even sure exactly what happened in their own locker room last week. They're still trying to sort of play Inspector Gadget and put that together and figure out exactly what went on here. Um, I, I, I don't know. Would there be interest in him? Sure. He's a top-five wide receiver. Yeah, he'll be 31, but he stays in immaculate condition year-round, and he's productive as, as heck, and There'll be teams that want okay. him, but I, I don't. You know, I don't know that. It, I don't know that it gets to that point. I, I, I just don't. Um, maybe cooler heads eventually prevail. It's. It's. Uh, you know, it, it, we're we're hours into this thing, but but he absolutely did make a trade request and said, "I don't want to be here anymore." And now the ball's in in the Steelers' court to try to sort this out. Tomlin's saying he never made. A demand for I guess demand is the right is not is the critical word demand or request right? Yeah, I'm the way I framed it as I originally reported it was it was specific, it was not a trade me right bleeping now um it's over I will you know what I mean I yeah. will never play yeah. another snap for yeah. you I dare you to let this continue it was my client is incredibly unhappy he does not feel that this is the place for him anymore. He's He's got issues with the coach. He thinks the coach is always on the quarterback side. He think the, thinks the coach picked a coordinator who's way too chummy with the quarterback, and he's not getting any younger, and he wants out. Um, but this, you know, this hasn't been, oh, they call Brown, and then he gets in the owner's face and says, I'm never playing for you again. You know, we're not, we're not to that yeah. point of it, yeah. but it has been expressed. Maybe not to Tomlin, but Drew Rosenhaus has everybody's phone number in that organization. He has made it abundantly clear to that organization that my client wants out. And I've reported this, whatever, two, three days ago. I've had plenty of knockdown dragouts with Drew Rosenhaus in my career. I have not received one phone call from him because he can't call me because he knows I'm right. And I have received not a single phone call from anybody on the Steelers staff, not from Tomlin, not from the PR guy, not from Kevin Colbert. Because they know I'm right. Yeah. So trust me, I'm right. Jason Lockenfora of CBS NFL Insider. I don't want to go through all the coaching, the coaching vacancies. I have two questions Good, about. I don't want to talk about. Okay, them. but I I have two. You, you humor me for two questions. Give me two, and then we'll get to the picks in the four games this weekend. We'll get a little a little competition going between you and me. My question, my first question is this Arizona thing. They're firing the guy after one year. One yeah. year. And now I'm hearing that certain guys are declining to even be interviewed. Of guys course. guys that guys that have never even had an NFL head coaching sure. job don't want to even be interviewed. What are they doing? Don't didn't they know when they decided, "Hey, we're going to cut bait with this guy after 1 year that everybody's going to question the credibility of our franchise?" Why would they do this after 1 year? It's not only even that they fired the guy after 1 year. They kept the guy who hung him out to dry by getting a extreme DUI. Oh yeah. Getting himself arrested and then getting himself suspended for that probably over his head rookie coach's first training camp. But now who's picking who's getting the help pick the new coach? That guy, who's out on his ass looking for a coordinator job if he can get one? Steve Wilkes. So yeah, people pay attention. Mike Munchak, that job was Mike Munchak's last year. 
He had one interview there. They were all about him. He didn't want a second interview there. You know why? Because he smelt what The Rock was cooking, and it wasn't. <laughs> it, it, it didn't smell. It didn't smell like anywhere. He didn't want to be a part of that kitchen. You know what I mean? Uh, so now I know Mike Munchak's got four job offers this year, and 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 he's hot. But it's not like Mike Munchak had four of them last year. And these guys wanted him, and he's like, yeah, I just right. don't like. I, I I don't like what's going on there. So, I, yes. I, look, I, I, if I'm Adam Gase, I don't take that job. I know they interviewed Adam Gase on Wednesday. You know, if I'm advising Adam Gase, I'm saying that's fine. You want to do that interview, but th- don't you take that job because um, you might not get a third one yeah. after that. My hunch there is Zach Taylor. I think they stay in the division. I think they take Sean McVay's quarterback coach, and I think they they try to sell that model. And they say, okay, well, what did Garrett, Jared Goff look like this time two years ago? He looked like an overwhelmed broken down rookie who had lost his confidence and it already looked like diminishing returns. And they got a young guy who built him up holistically. They got, um, he'll bring, uh, Zach Taylor's father-in-law is Mike Sherman. He'll bring Mike Sherman. That'll be like the sensei and the former NFL head coach who will be there with him. They'll pair him with Jack Del Rio or Mike Nolan or some, somebody, somebody to be the Wade Phillips, right? And you say, we're going to try to do this. We're going to try to duplicate what, you know, Zach Taylor was a part of with Sean McVay, with Jared Goff. I think that's the best they can do. And if Zach Taylor's willing to take the job, uh, they better hire him. You just mentioned Mike Munchak. That was maybe the answer to my last question. I get two, so this is my second one. Who's going to get the most offers of these eight is Munchak. You said, I think you mentioned four. Is he the hottest guy? Is he the guy that has his best pick of all these things? Um, I don't know that he'll be offered all all the ones that that he's interviewing for. I, I think he ends up in Denver. I think that's a, a who's the hottest pick. guy. Who's the hottest guy. The hottest guy. I mean, I, I don't, there, there really isn't one. I mean, Mike McCarthy's going to be super um, sort of discreet and selective about what he does. And I still think at the end of the day, he, he may sit this out. I mean, there's a lot of guys who have a lot of energy. Well, John Harbaugh. Again, I don't know how. John Harbaugh is probably well, He would the be hottest. the hottest guy. If John Harbaugh was available, he would be the hottest guy. Is he guy. available via and trade? I, you can trade for him, right? Lou, Lou Pinella got traded yeah. years ago from the Mariners. John Gruden got traded to Tampa, and yep. Tampa needs a coach right now. And Tampa seems to be slow playing their head coaching search. And I think if John Harbaugh's season were to end – uh, Sunday night, I think by Monday morning, the Glazers would probably be calling Steve Bishotti saying, well, could we play Let's Make a Deal? Okay. Doesn't mean that they would do it. Doesn't mean that they would agree on the terms. And doesn't mean that it would happen because Harbaugh would have to agree to an extension. Otherwise, it's not happening anyway. And he might not want to work for the Glazers. And frankly, I wouldn't blame him there. But yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's still some surprises to come. And I think Tampa could be the team that provides them, whether it's through something like that with Harbaugh or maybe landing a big fish college coach. I'm not buying what their search looks like on the surface right now. I, I think there's two searches going on there. One sort of like prudent, like, okay, could you know, let's get a guy. And another, like, we're quietly shooting for the stars. Let's see what we get. All right, you versus me, Lock and Four. Lock and Four and Levy, mm-hmm. head-to-head. We're going we're gonna to take 11 picks, four this week, four next week, and then two and one. We'll do it with the okay. spread. I got the spreads in front of me. We'll alternate. Great. We'll alternate who goes first. I'm going to flip a coin right now. Call it in the air. It's in the air. I'm saying tails. Tails never fails. It is tails. Uh, You get the the first choice. We'll go kind of chronologically. I'm going to leave the Seahawks for last. So Colts, Colts and Texans, third meeting between the two teams. I think they split. I think they each won on the other team's home field. Yes. 
That is correct. Um, I think the Colts are playing better, are, are a hotter team right now, it seems, mm-hmm. than the Texans. So the Texans are a point-and-a-half favorite. You get the first choice. Go ahead. Oh, give me the points. Oh, give me the points. Colts will win outright. You say it with such yeah. such certainty. I believe I believe it with, uh, with a lot of certainty. I think Andrew Luck right now is a top-five quarterback. Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback, but uh, 64 sacks, a leaky offensive line. Um, the Colts have been able to dial up pressure even without having, you know, prolific pass rushers. Colts are balanced with Marlon Mack. Lamar Miller missed a lot of time down the stretch. I don't know that he's going to be able to be the bell cow. Um, I okay. I like the mojo that the Colts have going on right now. I'm just enough on the fence on this game that I decided I'll go the opposite way. Wherever you go, I'm going opposite. So I'm taking the Texans minus the point and a half to win on the home field and advance to the divisional round. The other okay. games on Sunday, uh, you got the Ravens and Chargers on CBS. This is the rematch of a game a few weeks ago. We all saw it on that Saturday night. We saw how well the Ravens shut down that Chargers offense. We saw Lamar Jackson have a great game. I got Baltimore minus two and a half as the line. I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm taking the Baltimore. Chargers. I'm taking no. I'm taking the okay. Chargers. I'm taking the Chargers to come in there. They get their second shot at Jackson. I think Philip yeah. Rivers will have a game, and I think that the Chargers will beat the Ravens in Baltimore. I'll take them plus the two and a half. Your your shot. I'm going back and forth on this in my head all week. Um, as we talk right now, I know that Melvin Gordon had a full practice today, but I have my trepidation about him being the explosive guy he was before that original ankle injury. Um, I think that's the difference here. If they can't be as balanced as they need to be, if they get pass happy with on the road, a 10 a.m. game for the Chargers, with as much as Wink Martindale blitzes, <laughs> I, I think as long as Marty Morningweg doesn't jack this up and try to get too cute with what he has Lamar Jackson do, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the Ravens. Here. All right, you're going with the hometown Ravens, so we we differ on John the Harbaugh ten and five all time in the yeah. playoffs, and only yeah, two of those does. games at home. I'm yeah. I'm gonna roll with that. That does worry me. That does worry me. I don't know why I have a hunch on the Chargers to get even from that game. Fifteen. I don't blame days you. Ago. I mean, that's, I don't know. that's a coin flip game to me. I don't know. All right, Eagles and Bears. Uh, I had Peter King on. He thinks this game's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. You get the first shot. Me too. It's the Bears minus six. They're at home with the powerful punch and the defense. Probably Nick Foles' if, – if the Eagles don't yep. win, probably Nick Foles' last game as an Eagle. Lord yeah. no, He might be quarterbacking my Dolphins next year for all I know. Um, never um, so you get the first crack at this one. You want the Eagles plus the point six, or you want I'm the Bears take minus the, the point? I think it's a close game. I'm going to take the points, but uh, I think the Bears win the game. But but I think they win. no. You're fine. I think they I think they win by I think they win by three or something like that. Um, there's just something about Nick Foles this time of year. I mean, I I wrote him off when I watched him play the first two games of the regular season. They looked like he was you know done. He won the hold a clipboard, um, but uh, yeah, the Eagles have a playoff pedigree. I think Trubisky's going to be a little tight, um, and I, I wouldn't be totally stunned if the Eagles won this game. You know how I feel about this game. Had this been the Seahawks, I think they would have taken it to them. Um, I think the Bears win this one, but I'll take the points. I'll do the same. I think it's going to be close. I don't know how you can trust. Mitchell Trubisky more than the guy that's quarterback on the other side. Although, is the quarterback on the other side is Foles healthy? I know he's playing. Is he? Is yeah, he healthy? I mean, that's I a think, tough defense. To, cool. If you're not, if you're hobbled, no, that's a pretty is. tough defense to go up against, right? 
It is. I mean, everything I've heard is bruised ribs. Um, you know, oh. I don't know if they can shoot him up or whatever. Uh, I'm going with. I, I'm. I'm gonna ride Cinderella. Okay. Well, I don't know how it's it's a defending Super Bowl champs. I don't know how much of a Cinderella. Still Cinderella. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Still Cinderella. All right. The dude. The dude sat the bench for twelve straight weeks. I'm taking the Seahawks against the Cowboys. I don't know why. I, I I don't know that I really. I don't know how much I trust myself. I just know that I I want the Seahawks to win so badly that I I just I'm gonna will them to victory. I think this game is gonna be a really tough game for them. I think that uh, they they have three critical kind of game time decisions in Sweezy, McDougal, and Griffin. I think that they're three critical players in this game. But I'll go ahead and take the two. I'm looking at a two point spread. I'll take the Seahawks plus the two, and I know that you're going to agree with me, right? I'm taking the Seahawks outright. Yeah, I I give me give me Pete Carroll over Jason Garrett. Give me Russell Wilson over Dak Prescott. Um, I don't think Ezekiel Elliott wins this game. Don't think they let that happen. Pete's too good of a defensive coach, and I'm just not buying enough Amari Cooper to offset the same ball control approach that I think the Seahawks can take. Um, you know, I, I hope Brian Schottenheimer goes and watches some film of the last Seahawks uh, Super Bowl run and some of those pistol looks and unleashes Russell outside the pocket a little bit more um, and, and just keeps – and they did it a little bit more last week, but fold him into the run game. This is a one-game season. And you know, if Russell Wilson's your leading rusher, it's not the end of the world. It's a, you know, we're, we're not we're not trying to manage our way through 16 of these anymore. We're we're, we're at the sprint portion of the marathon. So, um, yeah, I I I think the Seahawks will play good enough defense in the red zone um, to to win this thing. Okay, so we differ on two. The first two, you've got the uh, you've got the Colts, the Ravens, the Eagles plus the points in the Seahawks. I've got the Texans, the Chargers. I've got the Eagles plus the points in the Seahawks. So my last question to you is, of those four that you have winning, who's the most dangerous to win another game or two or are none of them most dangerous to win another game? No, I or think two? it's wide open. I, I think they're all dangerous, um, depending on how the matchups, you know what I mean, lie and who gets whom and how it actually plays out in real life versus, you know, versus our fantasy land here. But I, I, I think what the Seahawks and the Ravens are doing is very similar. Um, not completely conceptually, but in terms of the, the overarching philosophy of pounding the ball, they, they do it in different ways. But they're, they're, there's going to be a volume in the run game, and they're going to ball control you, and they're going to steal possessions from you because they hold the ball so long. And it's going to make you try to do more than you really want to because you're worried about if we go three and out here and they hold the ball for ten minutes, what the hell are we going to do? Um, I think that gets in people's heads. And uh, – I, I just uh, – I don't be- – I mean, I don't – you know, Russell – this is Russell's time, man. You know, fourth quarters, late in the season, close and late situation, season on the line. That stuff plays, man. And, you know, I don't think the Rams beat them three times in a row if they get another crack. Wow. A little preview of next week's pick if they get a crack at the, uh, at the Rams. But, you know, for them to get a crack at the Rams – then uh, they're going to have to get some help from uh, the six seed. The Eagles would have to beat the Bears, right? Yeah. The Eagles would have to beat the Bears yeah. to to face New Orleans, and then that would mean so the two the two wild card teams would have to win would this weekend win. for them to face the Rams next week, right? So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, All or right. they All right. or they beat the 
Saints and then <laughs> beat the Rams in a championship game. All right. Uh, I think we'll take that here in the Northwest. Thank you, Jason. Uh, very good stuff. We'll be watching on CBS this weekend, and we'll talk next week when I have a two-game lead on you in our uh, in our match. No. All right. Okay. All, right. All right. Trash talk. I like it. Thanks, right, Jason. Buddy. I'll okay. talk to you next week. Thanks. And for a CBS NFL insider, they've got the Ravens and the Chargers this weekend. He likes the Seahawks, as does Peter King. It seems like everybody likes the Seahawks. Is that a bad indication or a good one? Uh, take a little trip into Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue if you're in the market for a new or pre-owned vehicle. Tons of opportunities in virtually all price ranges, starting with a fabulous selection of certified pre-owned vehicles to a new electric Jaguar, which is now in stock, to the family Land Rover Discovery model with the third row seating, which is the best value family SUV on the market. And if you're really adventurous, really adventurous, the upcoming return of the iconic Land Rover Defender is the talk of the car world everywhere you turn. And the order list is already filling up at Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. But I have been assured that if you guys tell the Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue that you're a listener of Mitch Unfiltered, you go to the top of the reservation list can't beat Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Check them out just off of 520 on Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue. Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. Let's get a little Vegas perspective on everything that's going on, including the Rose Bowl and how that shaped out uh, the other day in uh, in Pasadena and, of course, the NFL playoffs. Joining us on the uh, Mitch Unfiltered podcast is a longtime Vegas veteran, Todd Furman, uh, former odds maker at Caesars, analyst for FS1, CBS HQ. When are we here in Seattle going to be able to, you know, flip on a switch and, and, and make a wager legally? I think it's coming sooner rather than later. It's a question of uh, when, not if, at this particular juncture, and every state following its own timelines. I think we've seen a lot of the states kind of adopt a wait-and-see approach. Hey, let's see what they do right in the West Virginias, the New Jerseys, the Rhode Islands of the world, before we can incorporate some of the best elements to generate revenues and whatnot. So I think those folks uh, in your neck of the woods will be very happy uh, over the next 18 to 24 months. The real question becomes is with the proposed federal bill, if that would ultimately take hold, because we know one thing, the leagues are not going to sit idly by and let everybody else make money off of this. I just hope that the product that ultimately arrives state to state uh, is as competitive as we've grown accustomed to in the offshore world. Well, we want to bet on our football. We want to bet on our basketball. We want to be able to bet. So we'll, uh, we'll hope that everything that you say is true over the next couple of years. You know, the other day on New Year's Day, we had the Washington Huskies in the Rose Bowl, and that game uh, obviously didn't have a lot of drama as to who was going to win, at least for the longest time it didn't. And then all of a sudden, the point spread became the story, the five-and-a-half point spread. T- pick up the story from there. I understand that most of the money was on Ohio State, and boy, that, that last touchdown and near two-point conversion the other way was quite a big uh, happening in Las Vegas. Definitely one of the bigger decisions uh, for the sports books, not only here in Nevada, but across the globe, uh, booking college football. Eight out of every 10 tickets coming in on Ohio State, and those folks clad in scarlet and gray looked like they were going to be rewarded uh, once the Buckeyes built that commanding 28-3 to lead. And then we started to see some fight, some of that athleticism and big play potential that Washington had flashed during the course of conference play ultimately culminating in that late touchdown to sneak in the back door. What's interesting, though, about this game, Mitch, 
advantage is professional bettors took seven. They drove that number all the way down to four and a half. So if you backed Ohio State and you were Johnny come lately, you were still rewarded with that game falling five. Uh, But very interesting sequence of events because a Washington ticket for the most part really looked to be dead and buried until we started to see the Huskies get some momentum going uh, late in that fourth quarter. And then there is uh, obviously the, uh, the, the, the big NFL weekend that's to come and of course weekends to follow we're here in the northwest so we're concentrating on the saturday night affair in dallas it's a rematch of the week three game between the cowboys and the seahawks i know this number what started at three for the home team and has maybe been bet down to two and a half or two depending upon where you find it give us a sense of what vegas is saying about the uh, the Seahawks and the Cowboys. That's exactly right on the line movement. There was an appetite initially to try and back Seattle as three-point dogs. Price got as low as one, and that's where you started to see a little bit of a difference of opinion with professional bettors laying the one, pushing it out to one and a half, and even back to two in some locations. I really believe this is going to be one of the perfect illustrations of the professionals lining up on Dallas and recreational bettors backing the tandem of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll because when they approach the game, the pedigree is there at the quarterback position and on the sidelines given the Seahawks proven track record while we haven't seen Dak Prescott and Jason Garrett win games of this magnitude but the more you dig into this contest I think there are some real concerns especially for Seattle on the defensive side of the ball Uh, when you look at a lot of the metrics this is the most points per game and yards per game this defense has allowed since 2010 Uh, we go through Seattle and we know they've stayed committed to the ground game since that matchup against the Cowboys where they really started to find that offensive identity but they've prided themselves so much on turnover differential where they're plus 15 only having turned the ball over 11 times and averaging 30 points per game since week 10 good enough for third best in the league I have some questions if Seattle can get stops consistently and if they'll be balanced on the offensive side. I think the Cowboys may take the us-against-the-world mentality when everybody's kind of written them off. This is where we may see them play the kind of football that allowed them to upset the Saints way back on that Thursday night to kind of turn their season around. So you think the uh, the professional gamblers are waiting until the end, let this number come down because the public is uh, is betting the Seahawks and then at the very end, the professionals will come in and take the Cowboys minus the whatever it is, one and a half or two, something like that. Exactly, and I think you'll see some professional bettors even go as far as betting Dallas on the money line in this particular spot. Uh, just when you look at some of the matchups and you try and figure out what this Cowboy team is, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott's, of course, going to be the key cog. He averaged almost eight yards per carry in these teams' first meeting earlier in the season. And while everyone kind of looks at Dallas and goes, wait, they faltered on the defensive side over the last three weeks, and they have that 23 nothing shutout at the hands of Indianapolis in the back of their head, we quickly forget that the Cowboys had multiple chances. Their playoff seating was more or less locked in. And then we try and figure out what this Seattle defense has done when matched up against top 10 rushing offenses this season. Week 5 against the Rams, they surrendered 33 points and 155 yards. Week 10 against that same Rams team, 149 yards and 36 points. And albeit in a win against Carolina, they still gave up 200-plus rushing and scored 27. I'm just not sure this Seattle defensive line can hold up. And if Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright have to step up and run support, it's going to open up all sorts of options for the Cowboys' offense and play action. All right, so you sound like you are on the Cowboys' side. You're telling me that the professional gambler's money will be on the Cowboys' side. We'll see how it it plays out. 
a kind of a Vegas perspective of what's happening this weekend. How about the other games? Uh, start a, keep it in the NFC if you'd like. The the Eagles are probably the biggest underdog on the board this weekend. Something like five, five and a half. A Bears defense, but a kind of a rookie playoff quarterback, if you will, in Mitchell Trubisky's first opportunity in the postseason. And you know Nick Foles has done nothing but win when he's given the opportunity. How do you how do you see that matchup, Todd? Well, you're spot on with what Nick Foles has been able to accomplish. If we go back to the start of the 2017 season and include that somewhat improbable playoff run from Philadelphia, Nick Foles four and one against the spread, four and one straight up when his Eagles team installed as an underdog with a point differential of plus 45. This is a team I think a lot of us, myself included, wrote off for dead. 125 to 1 was the price you could have obtained offshore at petonline.ag on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl when it looked like they were dead and buried. All of a sudden, they got a couple of breaks, helped by the same Bears team that they're going to face this weekend, and the defending champions will at least have the chance to go back out and kind of play for the title and do something that none of us thought was ever going to be possible. But it's not exactly an easy task. Going into Soldier Field against the Bears defense that leads the league in scoring defense, they lead the league in rush defense, takeaways, passer rating allowed, yards per plate allowed, you name it, the Bears check every box on the defensive side of the ball that you'd want for a formidable stop unit. And this will be the first time that they've led the league in scoring defense and takeaways in the same season since 1985. And I can tell you, Mitch, having grown up in Chicago, I don't remember the game, but all my friends that rooted for the Bears, they played that Super Bowl shuffle probably until I was about 13 years of age. The problem being, you have to lay points with Mitchell Trubisky, and you mentioned it, inexperience at the quarterback position, not a recipe for success when you're asking a team to win more by more than a touchdown. Philadelphia has been there, done that. I think the Eagles have an excellent chance to cover this number in what I think will be a low-scoring affair. I would lean towards Philadelphia, but not nearly bullish enough on the composite unit that I'm going to see from Philadelphia to get myself involved. We're in Vegas getting kind of a, a wager's perspective of this weekend. So those are the two NFC games. Let's talk a little bit about the AFC games before you run out on me, Todd. Uh, the Ravens-Chargers game is a rematch of a of a contest that was played, what, two weeks ago. We saw Baltimore travel out to Los Angeles and do a number on the Chargers. Uh, you know, what's the flavor here? You've got a Ravens team with Lamar Jackson becoming the youngest quarterback to start a postseason game. You figure that the Chargers will be more ready for the Ravens, although, you know, there's something about John Harbaugh. I don't know. The The Ravens are a two-point favorite. What do you What do you think about this game? Well, you mentioned the game two weeks ago, and that was Phillip Rivers' his worst performance of the season, 181 yards and two interceptions, uh, leading his team to only 10 points, a game that had they won, we'd be talking about the Chargers on bye and the Ravens matched up with Kansas City right now. The problem for Phillip Rivers is he's playing his worst football of the entire season uh, at the wrong time. Three straight games with multiple interceptions, 203 or less passing yards in three out of his last four games. And when you look at Melvin Gordon, hasn't appeared to have the same boost, less than 70 scrimmage yards in his last three games. And while Phillip Rivers continues to chase history, first all-time without a title game appearance in wins, passing yards, and passing touchdowns, I really believe that all the pressure in the world is on the Chargers team, whereas Baltimore is almost playing with house money, having dodged that potential bullet at the hands of Baker Mayfield last weekend at home with history almost repeating him yeah. itself. Yeah. And you mentioned Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's really revitalized Baltimore. This team's 6-1 and one since he took over. And while you question his inexperience, 
You hit the nail on the head. John Harbaugh, 10-5 and in his career in the postseason. That win percentage of 666, second best behind only Bill Belichick amongst active coaches. And when you look at the way the Ravens have reconstructed their team, I mean, this is now a side since Lamar was under Helm. Last three games, they're only averaging 53 and a third offensive snaps for their opponents. The defense finished number one in yards per game allowed, number two in points per game, and they've led the league in yardage differential and rushing differential. I really believe they're going to impose their physical style of play and an injury that nobody really wants to address. Jatavis Brown suffered a season-ending ankle injury for the Chargers. Hayes Pollard's going to have to fill in, but Brown was one of the team's better run stoppers and had a team eye eight tackles in the first meeting against the Ravens. I think the Lamar train continues to roll on the track, right. and we're talking about Baltimore playing into the divisional playoff All right. round. All right, Todd, and then finally, the, the game that's kind of similar from the standpoint that, you know, in the middle of the season, Houston was going so well, and the Colts were kind of shuffling about trying to figure out what they were, and now later in the season, kind of like the Ravens and the Chargers, the Chargers were going so well in the middle of the year, and the Ravens were trying to figure out a way to get into the play- playoffs. Here's a here's a Texans team who has cooled off a bit, and the Colts are kind of surging at the right time. So, do you like what flavor? Do you like? Do you like the team that's playing well at the end, or do you like the home team? that uh, you know won the same division and, and beat them earlier in the year. I guess they split the two games. Yeah, both teams winning on the road. And I'll kind of put this game in the same vein as Bears-Eagles as far as odds makers providing a very tight number that I don't think offers a lot of wiggle room. Uh, but you mentioned the Colts and how they surge late in the season. Since Week 7, the Colts have the best record in the NFL, 9-1, and one, the only blemish coming at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars, an inexplicable 6 nothing loss down there in the sweltering heat of North Florida. Best point differential during that time span at plus 117. They're the league's top-scoring defense at 16.4 points per game, and they've held five of their seven opponents during that stretch to 21 points or less. So while Frank Reich and Andrew Luck will grab all the headlines, there's a reason their defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, is being thrown around for a potential head coaching job as early as next season. And what I like about the Colts is that they've provided a fortress for Andrew Luck, sacked just 18 times this season. Ryan Kelly was a full participant in practice earlier this week, going to anchor that offensive line. And they've averaged over 400 yards per game since week four, putting them only behind Kansas City, the Chargers, and New England as far as offensive productivity. You do have to worry a little bit about the inexperience, though. 24 of the 53 players in the active roster in their first or second NFL seasons, and only 15 have actually participated in a playoff game. I'm pretty sure Adam Vettiteri was kicking field goals before half of the Colts' active roster was actually born. But when you look on the other side of things, the Texans have been plagued by some inconsistency on their offensive line. Deshaun Watson sacked 62 times, a league worst this season. He's been hit 26 more times than any quarterback in the league. And while the Texans are stout against the run, they've been very vulnerable to the pass, allowing almost 400 yards in three of their final five games. Andrew Luck compiled nearly 900 yards in the two meetings. So, so much pressure going to be put on Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt to get to Andrew Luck, something that a lot of teams have struggled with. I think this game will be a little bit more defensive-minded than the over-under at 48.5 suggests, and I really believe these two teams will play not to make the big mistake early. So if you can find a 24, 24.5, that may be the most compelling wagering angle, but it's really flipping a coin. I think this is one of the more fascinating storylines for these two teams, as familiar as they are with one another, that may go under the radar given some of the higher-profile teams playing this weekend. All right, so Baltimore, the Cowboys – uh, 
you like the Eagles plus the points, and you're not sure that you like either side on the Colts and the Texans. Do I have that straight, Todd? Uh, exactly, and I would say of those games, I mean, the Cowboys probably the most bullish. Uh, and at the time of you're on the wrong, you're on the wrong podcast uh, making that. You know what? Hey, I gotta be a man of integrity and honesty. <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't make friends in this business, uh, but that's actually one of my stronger positions for uh, this particular weekend. Okay. And right now, the only game that I've actually invested in is I kind of do a little more digging and see what I can uncover in the uh, 48 to 72 hours leading up to some of these kickoffs. Todd Furman, uh, former odds maker at Caesars, analyst for. F- S1, CBS HQ, and of course, Bet the Board podcast. If you haven't heard that, you should take a listen. Thank you very much, Todd. Appreciate it. Hope you'll come on again when we can prove you wrong here and say, you know, everybody in Seattle is going to want to hear from you next week if the Seahawks are still playing and the Cowboys are out of it. You know that, right? You can't you know, hide. That's the cre- that's the crazy thing about this business. If I hit 100% of my bets, no offense, I wouldn't be spending time doing podcasts or trying to work with multiple media outlets. I'd be sitting on the beach in Turks and Caicos, sipping a nice daiquiri, dealing with warm temperatures and sunshine instead of the uh, low 30s, high 20s that we've been blessed with here in Vegas in late December. Thank you, Todd. Unfiltered. So you got Jason Lock and Four picking the Seahawks. Yes. You got Peter King picking the Seahawks. Yes. And you got Vegas Insider and Oddsmaker Supreme, Todd Furman, saying not only are the Cowboys the pick here, but they're the best pick of the weekend. So get out your little scale. Yeah. Do you trust the Vegas guy? They always know. You know what happened in the I mean you know what happened in the Husky Ohio State game? Yes, oh I my do. God! I do. Oh my God! The backdoor cover, but then after they backdoor cover, the interception on the two point conversion that nearly goes the goes other way, the way that goes back for the Ohio State. Yeah. Oh my God! And you're just saying to yourself, "How do they know? How do these I guys?" Know. And it brings up Bino, right? The memory of the late right. great Bino Cook, who always said, "Mitch, it's the reason they live in mansions and send their kids to Ivy League schools." <laughs> Right? Um, how do they know? How do they, so how which do they one know? do you weigh more? Do you like Peter King and Jason Lockenfora on one side of the old fashioned scale picking the Seahawks, or do you like So here's what I'll like say, the Vegas I'll inside? say this. Because for four weeks I've been saying I want the Cowboys. For four weeks I've been saying I think the Seahawks can beat the Cowboys. Yeah. I am still saying the Seahawks win. Now, that being said, with Todd Furman saying yeah. what he said. Which is, by the way, the late money, the smart money, all the smart professional gamblers are waiting, are letting the public take the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. The public takes the Seahawks. The public takes the, 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 the thing is already down from three to two. It could come down to one and a half or one. Yeah. That's when the professional gamblers at game time are going to go, okay, now. Like pork bellies with Eddie Murphy's character right. in Trading Places. Now. And they're gonna and that's when they're gonna jump in on the Cowboys minus the one or one and a half. I don't like to hear that Todd Furman likes <laughs> that's what I don't like. That's all I'm gonna say about that. He's just Todd Furman. Now, maybe you'll change your mind based on this. Would you like to do the tail of the taper? Have you decided? Can I not did none of this does none of what I'm about to I do? I'm unswayed. Move you? Yeah. But the tail of the tape is. You like the tail of the I tape. I love the tail of the tape. So I am I'm invested in the tail of the tape. Okay, let's play the game on paper. For those of you that are new to 2019, Mitch Unfiltered 
Jason Hamilton. We like to play these games on paper, mm-hmm. right, and see if we can get a little trend or get an idea of what we at the very least want to focus on. I think you're going to get from this some two or three things that are going to you're going to remember when you sit down and watch this game on Saturday night. Yep. Some of these things are going to resonate with you. It's the tail of the tape, eight statistical categories where we compare the Seahawks' offense to the Cowboys' defense and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Coin flip, you always decide. Would you like to start with the Cowboys' offense against the Seahawks' defense or the Seahawks' defense against the Cowboys' offense, or did I say the same thing twice? Well, it doesn't matter because yes. I want the Seahawks' yeah. offense versus the Cowboys' defense. First. First. Okay, are you ready with the bell? I I am. Okay, get that closer to the microphone. Let's hear it hear it loud and hear it proud. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Points per game. The Seattle offense averages 26.8 points per game. Sixth highest in the National Football League. The Dallas Cowboy defense, which is very good, the strength of their team, averages 20.2 points allowed. Sixth best in the National Football League. We've got a flat-footed half of the first one. We're going to have That's the first That's the first, first half we've ever had on the tail of tape. This year that you and I have done, I don't think we've had a half. Oh, we've had halves. Have we had a half? We've had halves. I what did, did somebody hit you in the head over no. New Year's? We've had halves. Not no. We've had the halves nope. and the have nots. I say no. Okay, then we haven't had halves before. Uh, Seattle offense yards per game. Okay, three hundred and fifty-three yards per game. Eighteenth best in the National Football League. Dallas gives up three twenty-nine. Seventh best in the National Football League. Advantage Cowboys. Seattle's offense in first downs per game, 20.6 first downs per game, 17th most in the NFL. Dallas's defense gives up 19.3, ninth best in the National Football League. Advantage? Cowboys. Score? Two, no, two and a half to a half. Okay, oh, you're going, you're going, going, go, you're, going you're, Ryder you're, Cup. <laughs> you're going Ryder Cup on me. All right, yeah. two and a half to a half. I like it. Third down conversion. Huge, huge stat. The Seattle offense converts 39% of their third downs to first. 17th best in the National Football League. I just gave you three great stats for the Cowboys, and yet they give up 42% of third downs to first, which is 27th or 6th worst in the National Football League. Advantage? Seahawks. Score? Two and a half to one and a half. Okay. We go to yards per carry. The Seattle offensive ground game. You know Chris Carson. Mm-hmm. You know Davis. You know Penny. They average 4.8 yards per carry as a team. Fifth best in the National Football mm-hmm. League. The Dallas Cowboy defense gives up 3.8 yards per carry. Fourth oh. best in the National Football League. Advantage? Cowboys. Score? Three and a half, one and a half. Seattle's yards per attempt passing. Every time Russell Wilson throws the ball, he averages 8.1 yards per attempt. Sixth best in the National Football League. The Cowboys give up 7.4 per attempt. 13th best in the National Football League. Advantage? Seahawks. Score? Three and a half. Two and a half. Nice. Passer rating. Remember this one. Circle this one. Quarterback rating. Russell Wilson, 110.9. Third best in the National Football League. Okay. The Cowboys give up 
a 95.7 passer efficiency rating, 22nd in the NFL, 11th worst advantage. Seahawks. Score. Tie ball game. Three and a half. Last stat of this half of our competition. Sacks. The Seattle Seahawks have given up 51 sacks. Russell Wilson has been sacked 51 times. That's eighth worst, 25th best in the National Football League. The Cowboys have combined for 39 sacks. That's 16th in the National Football League. Advantage? Cowboys. Score? Four and a half, three and a half. Okay. Halftime. How you feeling? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Because I was hoping that the Seahawks offense was, you know, I know the Cowboys defense is good. I was just hoping. It's good. All right. It's good. Let's flip it around. Okay. Dallas on offense, 21 points, 21.2 points per game, 22nd best in the NFL. Seattle's defense gives up 21.7, 11th best in the NFL. Advantage? Seahawks. Score? 1-0. Okay, you're, you're, you're breaking it down yeah. that way. Okay. Dallas on offense, 344 yards per game, 22nd best in the NFL. The Seahawks defense, 353, allowed a game, 16th best in the NFL. Advantage? Seahawks, 2-0. The Dallas Cowboy offense gets 20.1 first downs a game, 19th best in the NFL. The Seattle defense gives up 20.2 first downs, 19th best in the NFL. Have these. We're going to have it. We're going to have the whole. Oh, my gosh. Two and a half to a half. Okay. Okay. Third down percentage, conversion percentage. Dallas's offense converts 41%, 10th best in the NFL. Mm. The Seattle defense gives up 35%, fifth best in the NFL. Advantage? Seahawks. Score? Three and a half to a half. Three and a half to a half is correct. Okay. Dallas on offense. Yards per carry on the rush. Uh Uh-oh. 4.5 yards per carry with Zeke Elliott and Prescott and all these guys. 12th best in the National Football League. The Seattle defense gives up 4.9 a carry. 27th, 6th worst in the NFL. Advantage? Cowboys. Score? 3.5, 1.5. Yards per attempt passing. The Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, 7.4 yards per attempt. 15th best in the NFL right in the middle. The Seahawks give up 7.5 yards per attempt right in the middle. 16th best in the NFL. Advantage? Cowboys. Cowboys. Score? Three and a half, two and a half. You doing okay with the math over there? Yeah. Okay, how you feeling? Not as good as I thought I was going to feel. Dallas's Dak Prescott's quarterback rating, 96.7, 12th best in the NFL. The Seahawks give up a 94.3, 19th best in the NFL. Advantage? Cowboys. Tie ball game. Three and a half apiece. And finally? Oh, Seahawks have to have it. They got to have it. Sacks. Oh, boy. Did you know that Dak Prescott has been sacked 56 times? 31st in the NFL. Second worst in the NFL. 56 sacks. And the Seahawks have sacked their opponents 43 times, 11th best in the National Football League. Advantage? Seahawks. An absolute stone-dead tie all the way around. 
The Seahawks defense is a 4-3-1 winner over the Dallas offense. And the Dallas defense is a 4-3-1 winner over the Seattle offense. We have accomplished absolutely nothing but wasting everybody's time. It's a flat-footed tie. Now I'll throw two intangibles that don't take any of this into Mm -hmm. effect. Dallas has the home field advantage. We'll give them the check. Sure. You know about turnover margin. Seattle, number one in the league, plus 15. Dallas, plus three, 12th in the league. So Seattle wins the turnover, but Dallas has the home field advantage. We have absolutely accomplished nothing. (laughs) Statistically speaking, this reeks of a very, very close game that comes down to the end. That's what we've accomplished. A couple of things just to highlight. We'll call it the something's got to give part of this game. Mm. And that's what I told you earlier. Remember J.R. Sweezy in our first segment? I do. Seattle's the fifth best rushing team, yards per carry. Dallas is the fourth best team against the run. Mm. Something's got to give. Ask me how Seattle did the first time they played against the Cowboys. How'd it go? 2.9 yards per carry. Carson got his 100 yards, but he took him 32 carries or something. They were a different team then. Different team. Both 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 teams. teams. Both teams were different teams, right. So that's the something got to get. Who's going to win that? Are the the Seahawks going to come out? You know they're going to come out and try to run it. Are they going to be able to run it, and will they stay with the run if they can't really do much against that Cowboys defense? Do you have in your statistical machine and or your brain what Dak threw for? In that game? I don't. Okay. I don't. And the only reason why I brought that up is because with... Zeke had a big game. Okay. Zeke had a big game. I can tell you that. You add Cooper. Yep, you add Cooper. And your other two Seahawk potential injuries that would affect the passing game for Dallas and the defense for Seattle. Right. That's all. Right. So, um, a couple of things to worry about if you're the Seahawks from this statistical analysis. Well... Zeke Elliott, mm-hmm. the Seahawks, I just told you, they're 27th in the league stopping the run, and Zeke Elliott's the number one ball carry in terms of yards that's coming at him. So that's a big concern. And he didn't well, the play Cab- last week. He did, he's fresh, mm-hmm. and he's talking a lot of crap. And I was going to say the yes word, but I didn't want to break in the new year with the wrong really? word. He's talking a lot of smack. He wants to play the game like yesterday. He's so excited to play against the Seahawks. So that's a, a little bit of something to, to worry about if you're the Seahawks. Let me give you something to worry about if you're Dallas. Dak gets sacked just about as much as anybody sure. in the entire NFL, and Frank Clark... Jaron Reed and the crew, they're coming at him. Mm-hmm. They're coming at him, and they're coming at him hard, especially if they can slow Zeke down on first and second right. downs and keep it in third and long situations. The one thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, it doesn't. the, the one thing that just smells wrong to me, not for any team, just by looking at these numbers, is this, the Cowboys are great against the run, right? Mm-hmm. I just told you they're great fourth, against yeah. the run. So you would think the teams would be in third and long situations. So they should be – you would think that that would mean they're good right. in third downs. They're terrible in third downs. They're 27th in the league in third down conversions, and yet they're stopping the run, but they're not stopping third down. And the reason is they're not good in passer efficiency defense. Quarterbacks have big days statistically yeah. against the Cowboys. So the question that really you should be thinking about all the way to game time, that shoddy – 
Shoddy. Shoddy's thinking about is we love to run. We love to run. We want to impose our will against the Cowboys, but they're good against the run and not great against the pass. Mm-hmm. Will he, do they have the nerve? Are they just so intent on running, you know, that first, those first few series, it's run, 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 run. up the yeah. middle, up yeah. the middle, whatever. Do they have the balls to just change it up a little bit and maybe let, maybe let, Number three, throw some early play actions when the Cowboys are thinking run and they're not good against the pass to yeah. begin with. Maybe toss a little play action in those early plays, those those first 15 that they mm-hmm. script, that they normally script run, Carson, run, Carson, run. I think there's there's a there's a you know, I don't want I'm not telling them to get away from what right. they do. Of course not. But I I think in this case, if you beat them early with a couple of throws, you may then be able to set up the pounding of the rock. I don't think the Seahawks are willing to do that though, because I just they have they're shown st- stuck to what game they do. after game. Yeah. This is what we do. So there, there, there you have it. There you have it. The tail of the tape for the playoff game. You're, you're picking. You're picking Dallas. I mean, you're picking Seattle. I'm picking Seattle. I was gonna say you. I you, went in the in the game against Lock and Fora. I went with Seattle. I'm really worried. I'm really worried about the Seattle defense. I'm more concerned about I know the Cowboys strength is their is their defense, but to something about the Seahawks defense, boy, I sure hope Griffin and McDougal are playing. Yeah, that's big. So big to have those two guys in their secondary. All right, before we finish, I thought it would be it would be nice to mention Blake Nordstrom. Oh yeah. Blake Absolutely. Nordstrom passed away uh, this week at the age of 58 after a battle with cancer. You know, we all talked a lot about Paul Allen and his multiple fight with with cancer, the current owner of the Seattle Seahawks. Let's not forget what the Nordstrom family has meant to this city Absolutely. in so many different ways. And you know it better than I do because you're a lifer and I'm just a Johnny-come-lately the last 25 years. That family, I didn't know Blake really well. I know a lot of the other members of the family mm-hmm. much better. I just want to send out our condolences, the Mitch Unfiltered condolences 100%. to the to the yeah. Nordstrom family. We're thinking of the family. They were the ones that brought the Seattle Seahawks to to fruition. That's right. If it weren't for the Nordstrom family, there would be no Seattle Seahawks, and they've just been great pillars and supporters and philanthropists of the community. I said in a tweet earlier you know, understated, subdued elegance. My brother would call it subdued elegance. That's what the Nordstrom family is. Subdued. They're always there when Seattle needs them, but they're willing to, to sit back in the background. And I just want to say I was heartbroken to hear the news the other day, and I wish all the best to the Nordstrom family and the community as a whole and all those people that have worked with Blake and around Blake at Nordstrom. I, uh, I wish everybody the best. Yeah, well said. Okay. Go Seahawks. Go Seahawks. All right. Uh, you want to give a score? No. No score? No score. <sighs> Come on, give a score. Give me a Jason Hamilton score. Let me push you. Let me. Come on, this is the playoffs. Give a, I'll give a score. You give a score. You want to go first? No, I want to go second. You want to go second. All right, you got the bell, you go second. You got the power. Final score on a late Sebastian oh. Janikowski kick. And then he makes the play on the kickoff to knock the kick returner <laughs> out of bounds. Final score, Seahawks 27, Cowboys 24. 
I'm going to go 24-20 Seattle. 24-20 Seattle. And then bring on New Orleans or bring on the Rams. Bring it.